When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. If I did, I'm sorry. Okay, I steal from greatness. So. Aww. Thank you. No problemo. Um, you I, guys I'm getting along goes against the ethos of this podcast. Drum roll. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast, episode 86. We're creeping up on 100, guys. Slowly, slowly. We can only go one at a time. Yeah, my name's Daniel. I am half the hope, half hope, half hope, half hope. I'm Carl. Hey, everyone. What's up? What's up? What's up? How you guys doing? You guys doing well? I should have asked this before we started. I'm doing swell. Still alive. I'm breathing. Yeah, I'm doing those things that half hope has described. (laughs) Trying to exist. Trying to just stay alive. Stay black. What else? Trying to breathe. Trying to eat. Keeping it as real as how many crack addicts? Uh, Ten crack addicts. Ten. Oh, I've never heard that one before. He keeps it as real as 37 crack addicts at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we do this every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on social media, um, on Twitter, Talking Tactics, Facebook, type in Talking Tactics. You know, all that stuff. SoundCloud for sure. If you could follow us there, that'd be great. MySpace, uh, Snapchat, Beeple, High Black, Five, Black Planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, my Lord. That's, that's, oh wow, that's a blast from the past, man. High Five. Glitter as well. Um, yeah, nah, check, check us out on Twitter and check us out on Facebook and on SoundCloud. And if if you listen to a podcast on iTunes, please leave us a five star review. Yeah, yeah, that'd be dope. Uh, you guys got anything upcoming this week? No, I mean, look, uh, Champions League, man. That's that's it. That's is it. Champions League, bro. We'll get there. We'll get there. I would just, I mean, like, oh, Carl, you got any articles coming out? I have hope you got any. The only article I've got coming out this week will most likely be about Black Panther. So. Mm-hmm. If you want a little extracurricular stuff, you can check that out. Before we start, how the hell did you get tickets to the European premiere, bro? How, how does that work? And don't give me, I'm famous, I know people, da-da-da. Like, how does that work? That's that's how it happened. <laughs> wait, no, wait, and also, wait, wait, how come it's at the, how come it was at the Hammersmith Apollo? Because that looked literally, it looked like a club. <laughs> it looked like it was like a club they, night, you know. They wanted to fit in 3,000 people. So 3,000 people, they went to the Apollo instead. So you're one of the more most famous 3,000 black people in London? Is this how is this how this oh, works? I, there were white people there too. Oh, well, look at me and my casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I got invited to go there as part of a podcast I'm going to be on sometime this week to discuss the film and some other films. Which podcast? Um, it, it will be called uh, Truth and Movies. It's from the people behind Little White Lies. So oh, shout cool. to them. Cool. Um, and it was it was remarkable. It was one of the, it, it felt like a real 
Not too much, Carl. Moment. Like, no, I'm not going to discuss the film, but in terms of just how many people were there across all forms of the Black Diaspora and were all out in tribal dress. And I bumped into Daniel Sturridge too, which was interesting. Who got injured after three minutes? After three minutes. We're currently recording during a Chelsea West Bromwich album. And hopefully this episode will go better than the final minutes of last week's episode where Daniel <laughs> lost his mind as Watford put four past his Chelsea side. <laughs> that, but, uh... didn't, that, that part didn't make records, which is either a good thing or a bad thing because I had some I said some bad words in that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, so hopefully it's, it's going to be halftime soon. So over the next few minutes, we'll get back right. Um, what else do I need to say? There was one thing that was in my head that was housekeeping and I forgot it. It'll come back to me or it won't by the end. Uh, so where do you guys want to start? We got a couple of things. United lost 1-0 to Newcastle. We have the North London Derby. We have Champions League. Somebody pick. Where do you guys want to want to begin? North London probably, man. Okay, I'm trying to think of the game. I've forgotten the game. It was one nil Tottenham. Uh, it was a one nil drubbing. It was a real, what we call one nil drubbing. There was at least a point where you know Tottenham Hotspur with a bit more clinical finishing, or if it with Petrek wasn't having one of his on days, it could have been three or four nil. It's one of those weird games where Spurs should have closed the game out very very early, but because Spurs are Spurs, uh, they were a nervy 10-15 minutes in the end where it looked like Lacazette might even things up but that didn't quite come to pass um one thing i will say Musa dembele wow what a player he's he's quite hard no, to no, quantify no, no, no. Belgium, have, have a team, man. Belgium have some stupid talent stupid talent but it clown is a manager unfortunately so and their only weakness would be manager and who are their fullbacks everything else is okay from center backs defensive midfielders central midfielders wingers Forwards, they're good. They just—I don't know who their fullbacks are. That the the one guy from PSG, Munier, yeah, I'm maybe play, perhaps play Vatonga at left back again. See, but I don't like that. I don't like them having to split up uh, Alderweireld and Vatongan. Like you should keep them together as a two. Um, but we're getting into World Cup territory here. I don't know if we want to do that. Um, we we've talked about him quite often on this podcast. I talked about how it's so hard to get the ball off him once you get side on with him. So I feel as if we praise him quite a lot on this podcast. Uh, something I found really interesting doing some wider reading about Dembele is uh, he's quite hard to quantify using uh, rote statistical methods. Uh, mm. So he's only had one goal and one assist this season. And he's, his goal scoring has dried up from his early days when he was at Fulham as an attacking midfielder. But he's, he's, he's superb. Somewhere part of this way through this season, it looked as if he was on a downward curve and now he's just sort of found this form again and is is he's he's arguably the best centre midfielder in, in the Premier League. Whoa, um, that's a big statement. I said that's why I put the word arguably in there. I know, I, I know. But like normally it's, when people say arguably they actually mean it and arguably it's, it's just like a cop out to say what they actually want to say. At least that's what I do. <laughs> when I use the word arguably I'm trying to say something without trying to take the flack of the actual when, statement. When I say arguably I'm <laughs> I I try and make like top three. I'm trying to say top three and if someone said this is the best guy I'm not gonna. I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right. You know, you can make good, convincing argument. The Bruyne is an attacking midfielder playing in a deeper position, so I wouldn't call him it. So yeah, I suppose you can call him a centre midfielder because he's playing in that free eight role. David Silva is now a centre midfielder, so I think it's I think it's pretty much a fight between David Silva and Dembele. Dembele is, plays much deeper than Silva. Like Dembele really sits. He sometimes goes forward, but he 
sits more in that central midfield position where Silva isn't really in the nuts and bolts of the of the of the, of the midfield. Oh, guys, by the way, Giroud looks like if he's he's half dead. So um, <laughs> okay, he, he he got kicked in the back of the ankle. He has a you know, look. Oh. He's, he's got a bandage around his head. He's holding his like he looks like if he's literally about to enter the afterlife. If if. <laughs> So. It looks like he's uh he's been at war and he's come back. Um, yeah, my, my question is, who is the best Dembele? So there's Tottenham Hotspur's Musa Dembele. There's Celtics Musa Dembele. Barcelona's Dembele. Usman Dembele. There's a bunch of other Dembele's, but I don't think they're as good as those three. Um, no, 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 no. The, the, the best all-round is Tottenham's. The most talented attacking-wise is Usman, but the best all-round is um, Tottenham Dembele. I'll take Tottenham that. would be Musa Dembele. Spurs were Spurs were fantastic. I think that's Arsenal's first loss at Wembley in a while. And hopefully we can remember when we all thought there was going to be a Wembley curse. No. <laughs> no. Tom Hotspur's home form is phenomenal. And I think they might do it. I think they might sneak into that top four. Do you think uh, they're the third best team? I've said Possibly this before. even the second best team. On the first 11 basis. Everyone's fit. Everyone's on top form. Tom Hotspur the second best team in the country. They're, they're better coached. They're better drilled. As Greg Johnson, London editor-in-chief, pointed out, they practice these very, very intricate, detailed attacking uh, things. So you see quite a lot from like Son and Harry Kane and Daddy Alley when they're doing all these flicks and tricks that come off really, really well. And I talked about Harry Kane's first time passing and how Harry Kane as a creator and a one-two person is fantastic as well. Um, there's a lot to like about Tom Hotspur. If you think about the players that are coming back, you know, Alderweireld didn't play. Alderweireld is not going to play against Juventus this weekend, this this week, which is really interesting because of this whole contract thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alderweireld's on £50,000 a week, which is ridiculous when you consider Chris Smalling, who dived to get a free kick in his own area against Newcastle <laughs> that Manchester United conceded from, is on 110. So he's on twice the money and Chris Smalling isn't a... He's diabolical. Um, that that call that reminds me of a point we need to talk about. We need to stop using people's salaries as being like he earns this much a week, therefore X Y Z. I'm gonna. Oh, no, 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 I, no, I will. No, no, I will continue to keep doing that. I, 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 hate, I, I need that argument. I hate when people it. do that. I hate like, no, no, no. and and I got it from your video with Benzema. Like he makes <laughs> X Y Z. He makes a hundred thousand pounds. He's stealing. He's a thief. If he's you can, he's a thief. <laughs> Tom Hotspur were fantastic, uh, and you consider the personnel that they have returning. So Lucas Lucas Mora isn't hasn't had, got a game time. Uh, Harry Winks didn't make the bench. Toby Alvaro didn't uh, return. Victor Wanyama is returning to fitness. This is a very interesting point in, in Tottenham because this is when you're entering you know crunch time for this top four chase. And Chelsea are falling off the pace a little bit. Manchester United are certainly falling off the pace a little bit. Arsenal are going to continue to venger things up. Um, now is the time for Liverpool and Tottenham to make their claims for the top four positions. Should we talk about Arsenal a little bit? Robert Lando asks, what's going on with Petr Cech? I think when Petr Cech left Chelsea, he was no longer uh, a top three goalkeeper. And I think since then, he's gone, he's regressed even further. That's not to say Petr Cech isn't a good goalkeeper. He's still a good goalkeeper and he's still, I mean, if you look at the league right now, I think your best three goalkeepers right now are David De Gea, Courtois, and then uh, Edison. I think Edison is superb. And then you've got a gap below those two. And I think now you've got Petr Cech, Pickford, and 
mm, we'll see. And that's the thing. I think this is a, this is a very similar thing to as to what happened when Arsenal had Olivier Giroud as their number one striker. What they've got is a player who is good, but he should not be your number one option for a team that traditionally wants to win the title. And it feels weird for me to say that because I don't think Arsenal Football Club have gone into the last three seasons going, we're going to try and win the Premier League. But <laughs> they should be. They should be, should they not? And if that's the case, they shouldn't be having this these types of players as their number one goalkeeper. If you talk to any Arsenal fan now about their goalkeeping situation, they're going, why on earth did we sell Wojtek Chesney? They showed Wojtek Chesney for 10 million. And Juventus went, this guy's going to replace Buffon. How would you sell someone at that lower price to a club that's going, this guy's going to replace one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. It's one of those baffling things from Wenger. Like, yeah, fair enough. Chesney was a lot, very immature and got sent off quite often and they gave loads of mistakes. He was young, so they loaned him out to Roma for two years so he could develop into a man. The thing about Chesney was, even when he was young, he was very good at shot stopping. He has wrists of steel. Like, he doesn't have the thing you see in some Premier League goalkeepers where if you shoot the ball hard enough, the ball seems to just go through them, which is a problem that Petacek is getting in his older age. Um, and this is, and that's Arsenal. Arsenal are continually making odd decisions with their side. Jack Wilshere was perhaps was the best Arsenal player on the pitch on Saturday. Oba seemed all right. You know, he's new. He's fresh to it. And then Lacazette comes on. Lacazette's going, right, you paid 53 million for me and you shunt me out wide for the biggest game of your season, the North London derby. And and now you're going to get mad at me for missing two chances in the last five minutes. Of course I'm going to miss these chances. Like, I don't, I find it weird when people are like, oh, Lacazette's confidence is shot. Like, of course his confidence is shot. You paid 53 million for this guy. You don't play him in any big games. And you want to chuck him in the last 10 minutes as a last hurrah. Like, what did you expect? But Arsenal's got Arsenal. Look, this goes back to two, three years ago. Like, whenever people come up with that whole hashtag Vengras, I'm like, do you know how stupid that, that is? Be one thing. If you're Vengras, you should have been fully Vengras before because those same people that are saying hashtag Vengras, when Arsenal now won one game that was like a huge victory, they'll, they'll, they'll be silent. The issue is Wenger. All roads lead through Wenger. And as Carl was saying, you shouldn't have sold Chesney because that was your future key keeper. Check, as we've seen, isn't as good as he once was. Even the whole Lacazette issue. For me, I think Lacazette is a very good striker. But if you don't play enough, especially with a new team, you won't understand how to vibe with the, with the team. And it's for Wenger, you have to be malleable. Why can't you play Aubameyang and Lacazette both as strikers? Or why can't you play a three? Why can't you play a front three that is manoeuvrable? Maybe like Mkhitaryan, Lacazette and Aubameyang. Just that Wenger is so stuck in his one striker ways of like, this is my one striker, and these are the guys out wide, that it just makes it very difficult for you to get the best out of the team because you have to look at the players you have and try and get the best out of them. You can't force players into a system, which is what made Ferguson one of his best managers because Ferguson was like, okay, I've got Andy Cole and Dwight York, they're my strike partnership. Okay, I've got Vanessa Roy, this is my poacher. We're going to all play in a way in which we're going to like enhance his poaching capabilities. Okay, I've got Cristiano. We're now going to be a counter-attacking fast break team based on the assets that Cristiano has. Okay, we've, we've got Van Persie. We're going to play to his strengths as a, as a lone striker who's got amazing finishing. So every single time Ferguson changed, tweaked his system to suit the players that he had. Like I said, it's been dropped into this whole thing of, nope, this is the Arsenal way and he must play this way, which isn't really going to work out. So that just shows bad management. Um, so for Arsenal, I don't think they'll make top four. 
I think it's going to be close. I don't think seven points is nothing, but I see more losses in this team. And I just see Tottenham and Liverpool and Chelsea being more consistent than them. And if Arsenal picked up for this season, my God. All right. So I think, Chris Godfrey, we just answered your question. Why did Arsene not just play 4-4-2 when he bought Lacazette? Why did he move our 60 million striker to the left wing? Why does he always do this? There was another Arsenal question. Mason Boris asks, is Wenger to blame for Lacazette's demise? At the start of the season, he would have buried that chance. But dropping him in big games, even when he scored against United and City, has killed his confidence. I think he's answered his own question there. Strikers are a unique breed. They rely more so on confidence than any other position, I feel. You know, you have to believe you're going to score. And if you don't, you have to believe you're going to score the next chance. right? So we know Harry Kane believes in the gambler's paradox. So Harry Kane said if he has a shot on goal and he misses, he doesn't mind it because it means he's more likely to score the next time he has a shot on goal. That's nonsense. That's not how mathematics works. But that's the lie Harry Kane tells himself to keep shooting and not be put off. This, this probably was also why Harry Kane would not be as successful if he plays for another club where he has to pass more. But Harry Kane believes in himself and believes in that he has to take a lot of shots to score loads of goals. It, it, you, you need a certain amount of confidence to, to take the last shot in the 85th minute to try and win a game. Or, you know, the, the header Harry Kane got to, to score the goal. Amazing. The fact that he had a header in the first half previously where six yards out and he went a touch over and he seemed annoyed about it and he went, all right, fine, I'm going to fix this later on. And then the hang time he got to get above Koscielny and put that ball in the, in the bottom left corner. That's what a confident striker does. That's what, a com- that's what a striker who is getting game time and believes in himself and understands he's the tip of the spear and the whole team revolves around him putting the ball in the back of the net can do. Whereas if you're Lacazette, again, you know, you were going to go to Atletico Madrid last year, but then they had a transfer ban. Then Wenger picks you up for 53 million and it's just not working. If I'm your main man and I've just seen this lavish PR campaign, yo Pierre, about getting Oba over. And I'm like, well, you didn't do that for me. How comes he got the 14? I mean, I know why he got the 14, but like, you, you, you're just a bit, okay, cheers, mate. I'll just uh, keep doing what I'm doing. If I'm like I said, I'm, gonna, I'm knocking on Wenger's door and saying, right, Europa League or something, like we have to sort this out right now. Uh, Greg Johnson asked, previous guest on the podcast, shout out Greg, uh, Spurs looked even better in the second half when they pretty much went 4-4-2 with Delhi next to Kane. Barca have gone for their own 4-4-2 spinoff this season. Is the 4-4-2 back in the big time? And just how impressive was Mike Bassett as a visionary thinker? Uh, <laughs> if anybody's seen that movie, it's pretty funny. So basically, is, is the 4-4-2 back? We can link this into another question you have about the 4-2-3-1. I'm going to just call you Amadeus B. Is four two three one outdated in modern football? No, uh, like we've said this before, everything football tactics are cyclical, and it matters less what your formation is, and it matters more the players in the system, right? To to bring it back to the Arsenal point, yeah, they look good with a four four two because they've got Jack Wilshire, they've got Elneny, they've got some very good, very intelligent players. The four four two, I won't. The four four two makes me worried because it doesn't quite play to Meza Ozil's strengths. I know he's just spoken about salaries. I think, you know, whoever is earning the most amount of money at your football club is the whoever is the person who should have the team built around them. If you're paying them that much money, you create a system to get the most out of them, which makes Mourinho's dilly-dallions in Manchester United even more baffling. Don't think of football formations as rock, paper, scissors. Don't think of it as 4-4-2 loses to 3-5-2 because... 3-5-2 gives you an extra man in midfield. And don't think of 4-2-3-1 beats 3-5-2 because 
three, five, two, whatever, whatever, whatever. If it's always dependent on what you've got. Uh, four, two, three, one is not outdated. Rafa Benitez and Mourinho used it to great success in the early two thousands, in like two thousand seven up until two thousand, let's say twelve. Whereas what you've seen recently from Atletico Madrid and Leicester in their title-winning season is what they had is a very hard-working 4-4-2 formation, which is very interesting because we had a decade of defenders dealing with 4-2-3-1. And then once you gave them a 4-4-2, the centre-backs got very confused as to what to do. So sometimes it's beneficial to change just to confuse centre-backs. This, this question can kind of go into two things. Um, this is from Russ. What's worse, Arsenal's defence or Manchester United's attack? Uh, I said this before, I think Arsenal's defence is worse. I think the the potential ceiling to Manchester United's attack is a lot higher than the ceiling to Arsenal's defence because you look at Arsenal's defence, they've got an old goalkeeper in Petr Cech, a left-back in Montreal who is consistent but getting older, a right-back in Bellerin who is inconsistent, and then centre-backs in Koscielny who is on the wane and Mustafi who has caught the Arsenal, Arsenal disease. I think the better question is... Arsenal's defense or Manchester United's defense? Yeah, that's a better question. Manchester United were a barn. Uh, I've you know I watched them at Wembley when they lost to Tom Hotspur, and I watched the, and I watched the uh, Newcastle defeat and a back four of Ashley Young, Antonio Valencia, Chris Smalling, and Phil Jones is just awful. You've got two wingers turned fullbacks and two centre backs that treat the ball as if it's a bomb. Um, Jamal Laskells raised a really interesting point in the post match about how Newcastle beat United. He goes, it was really interesting. He goes, once you saw Phil Jones and Chris Smalling with the ball, they just looked uncomfortable. He goes, maybe it was our pressing, but you watch you when you play against Manchester City or you play against Arsenal, you can really feel the quality of their football and you feel as if, if you make one mistake, they'll punish you. And we didn't feel that today against Manchester United. That's what he said. When you play against Manchester City or Arsenal, you can feel the quality. You don't feel that when you play against Manchester United. There is a great gap between whatever Mourinho thinks he's doing and whatever's going on in the pitch, and that worries me greatly. If you were United manager, would you persist with weirdly attacking formations that don't work or spend the rest of the season playing counter-attacking football in the league as preparation for Champions League games? No, wait, what, wait how the hell would that prepare you for the Champions League playing counter-attacking for, for football? How? It's the guy's question, man. I don't know. Oh no! Basically, guy, wh- whoever you are, playing counter-attacking football isn't preparation because Champions League football is is tactical. Yes, Sevilla are trash, but still, you have to be very tactical and know how to play a variety of different tactics within the game. So, match management is a lot more demanding of you in a Champions League game as opposed to a Premier League game. So, really, in the Premier League, there is no ideal preparation for the Champions League because they're two totally different beasts. So United just have to have a different mindset when they play in Europe. And you and just, just can't get to that when you're playing against all the Premier League teams. Uh, regular old Donuk. Sorry for butchering your name, man. Bar the 2-2 draw against Stoke and the Basel-Bristol losses, Ashley Young started in every draw and loss so far this season. Are United so weak at left back and right back? Or is it blind faith in him on Mourinho's part? I feel as if he does what Mourinho wants more so than what Lucio wants. Mourinho likes when players defer authority to him. So when Luke Shaw had that good game just before his recent run of starts, he said, Luke Shaw played with his body, but with my brain. And that speaks <laughs> at a level of control. <laughs> That's so disrespectful. I know, I know. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I watched Ashley Young at Wembley, and the thing that infuriated me was how easy Kieran Trippier just peeled off him. There's the defending analogy of if the striker can see your shirt number, you've messed up because it means you can't see where he is. And there were so many times where Trippier was like, yep, I'm just going to run here, stop a little bit. Ashley Young continues the run, and then he's wide open, and Trippier is wide open in space. And I think that's similar to what happened in Newcastle. Um, and this isn't Ashley Young's fault. He's not. A, he's not a left back. He's a winger. He used to play. He's a. He's a ten turned winger. Now he's a left back doing that position because he is not going to rock the boat because he enjoys playing for Manchester United and he enjoys what he's doing. And he can do a job like Ashley same Young thing playing with Sam Milner. Same issue with, with yeah. same thing with Milner. Ashley oh Young my playing, Jesus! How did Ashley you miss Young. that? <laughs> <laughs> Rondon is trash. <laughs> sorry, Carl. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Ashley Young playing at left back against Newcastle shouldn't be a problem. However, it is it is baffling where you know theoretically Manchester United have very little to play for in the league. We seem fairly. There was a point where it seemed as if we weren't going to drop out the top four and we could just learn, you know, play around with the system. So I would I want to see Luke Shaw play, and if we're not going to play Luke Shaw and see what happens there, then we should sell him. Shit or get off the pot. Do one of them. Interesting. Never heard that before. This constant <laughs> toing and throwing with Luke Shaw is annoying, and also we, we need a recognised right back. Antonio Valencia is not a right back. He's a very good winger. He was a very good winger that went to right back after he broke his leg, and he's very one footed. His direct play helps if you're playing against maybe five or you know eight or seven teams in the Premier League. But if you're playing against anyone from Southampton or Everton upwards, Antonio Valencia isn't going to offer you the sort of football going forward that I would like. You know, he's not going to be able to do the stuff that Kyle Walker does, or he's not going to be able to do the stuff that Serge Aurier does, or do the stuff that, uh, you know, a healthy and not featuring on love and hip-hop Nathaniel Klein can offer you. Oh, you mean you mean Nathaniel Kleining? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh my, it's, it's, my soccer it's friend, Nathaniel Kleine. <laughs> Yo, like that's that's a scripted show, isn't it? Like I don't watch Love and Hip Hop or whatever it is, but like yeah, it's, it's scripted. So so he signed up for that. Like he read the script, was like, all right, this is gonna make me look good. No, no, I think he's he's yeah. friends with with one one of the guys on there. I think. Oh boy, so. that doesn't even know how to pronounce your surname. It's right. America, man. Come on, what do you expect? Hey, I can't pronounce Paul's name, and he's my friend. It rhymes with George. Let me get rid of these VAR questions. Um, Football FC 14 asks, are you for or against VAR and why? I am for VAR, but there should be a limit for how many times a team can use it, perhaps three times for each team. And someone else asks, should VAR just be reduced to offsides, at least for now? I would actually prefer that until like they get it right. Just use it for offside because that's the easiest thing. Yes, I mean, I think on, on Silver, they make it quicker. I, I, I don't want to see VR anywhere near the World Cup, man. Do you know, do you know what's weird, though? Is you're just taking, and unless it's a black and white rule, like offsides generally is a black and white rule. Like either you're onside or you're offside. But if there's a foul in the box, like it's still up to interpretation. So basically, you're just taking it from the referee's interpretation to the VAR referee's interpretation, which is always going to take a little bit of time for him to like digest what he's seeing. Unless it's, you know, just a really, really rash tackle or something like that. Maratha's coming on. This should be fun. Um, so, yeah. I, I just think an, an, VAR right now should be used for black and white decisions. Was the ball out of bounds? Should it be a goal kick or a corner? Is it offside? Was it was he onside? That kind of stuff. But as far as, like, the interpretation rules, 
where it could go this way, it could go that way. It's just going to, you're just having two people take the same amount of time to think about the same thing. It makes no sense. Just trust the referee on the field. I don't want it at the World Cup, but I suspect it will be in some form or fashion. Uh, we'll, we, we will come back to questions at a later date. Let's talk about the Champions League, guys. So we were talking about Tottenham. Let's start with Tottenham Juventus, which I mm. think is probably the most interesting tie. Now, obviously, a lot of you guys are going to listen to this after the fact. So you guys will know what happens. We don't at the moment. What do you guys think is going to happen in the first leg? I'm going to start with Have Hope because I'm assuming you have your – have you already put out your preview on the hut? Like, have you put well, out your scoreline? I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of editing it. I've filmed it, but I'm in the midst of editing it. So what was your prediction what is, on that first leg? Juve to win 1-0. But I think it's going to be very close. But I just think that Juventus are going to play a very old-school game and they're, and they're going to pretty much go old-school on, 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 on Tottenham. And then it's going to all open up in, in the second leg. But I think first leg is going to be close. You know, hmm. so but, but I'm still going to go with 1-0 Juventus. But if Harry Kane shows up, man, he, he, can, he can do a little something. He can do a little something. Okay, so... By next time this week, will Harry Kane be world class? According to your to your, to your prediction, I'm gonna assume no, because that would mean he hasn't scored. No, no, no. If he plays well, like really, really well, then I'll give him your stance. Has, your, your stance has softened. It it needed to be first he needs to score, then it was he needs to assist or set up a goal. Now he just has to play well, and he's like, now world really class, well, like amazingly well. So okay, and I will, and I will be the judge of how well he plays. <laughs> oh joy. What are you thinking? I'm seeing a good draw for Tom Hotspur. So I, I'm, I'm seeing a 1, maybe a 2-2. Two, two. The victory over Arsenal will give them a much-needed boost. Victor Moses just minutes. scored. Moses scored. Backflip. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Uh, I think if they have a very strong 15 minutes, opening 15 minutes, if they keep it tight there, I think it's, it's going to be fine. They're going to grow into the game, and I think Harry Kane is going to Harry Kane. Got, but you got to bear in mind, you know, Christian Eriksen is overdue a goal. Deli Ali is overdue a goal and, and Son is, is in a, a lovely little purple patch. I think I think they'll come good. Basel versus Manchester City will be very interesting. I'll be interested to see how Manchester City are going to line up in that one. By most bookies' estimation, City should walk this. <laughs> Sesk um, is a dirty motherfucker, man. <laughs> Sesk is dirty. I mean, I was lucky it was fortuitous, but Jesus. You know what? I think Basel should take half hope up on the forfeit rule. I I think this could be 4-0, 4-1. Yeah, no, it's, no, no. no. It, I think it, it's gonna be over in the first leg, man. That's my that's my fear. I don't I don't want it to be, but that's my fear. I mean, it it, it could be, man. Plus, I I mean, I, I I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I watched the Swiss League, but man, <laughs> Manchester City looked really really good at the moment, and uh, Aguero scored four goals in what 50 minutes. So yeah, I, I that's not the game anyone should watch. Um. All right, then we have the big match, Real Madrid PSG. Sorry, I'm getting lost in the game. What do you guys think? What do you guys think, man? Real Madrid PSG, like this is Wednesday. Clear your schedule. Is is Wednesday? Valentine's That's Day. Valentine's Day. Yo, some of y'all are gonna have to miss dates. Y'all gonna have to clear our schedule. Fake sick, honey. I got the flu. Like what? Whatever you have to do to be in front of the TV set to watch Real Madrid PSG, you're gonna have to do it. 100% man. So like book book your dinner for to tonight or the 15th. You can't miss this game because this is this is this is why we watch football, isn't it? Like too really? too tight think about it. Think about it. Think about no, it. No, 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 no. This is, this is, this you you, you have you have Real Madrid. They're having what many would class as a bad season, all right? To be top 4 in La Liga, it's all relative to whoever you are, right? 
but this is a bad season in, in terms of Real Madrid. So their only hope, really, is winning the Champions League, right? So everyone is like, yeah, we're having a bad season, but whenever we have a bad season, we win the Champions League. Well, now you're playing PSG, who just bought Neymar for $222 million. Like yep. this, this is supposed to be their season. This is supposed to be Neymar, you take us to the promised land. These two things coming together at this at this moment, it's huge. It's huge. You're gonna have this is a I don't know, like a legacy type of thing. And I'm very intrigued to see how it works. I, I feel like PSG though, it might be too soon in that like Real Madrid have experience. The moment's not gonna be too big for them. You know, I, I'm I'm leaning Real Madrid like a, a 2-1, something like that in the first leg. But it could go either way, man. For, for me, it's it's going to be huge. It's, it's it's going to be huge. And I, But I just I feel that don't count out Real Madrid, man. I think, for me, I'm siding with Real to do this. As, as good as PSG, as you said, I think it might be too early for them. And if Real lose this, they, this, this could be one of their, their worst seasons ever. Because they could, they'll go trophyless. And they're fighting for top four. So Real are not going to bow out in the bloody knockout stage, knowing that they don't have Copa del Rey or um, last 16. So look, man, I think Real are going to edge it. But I want to see Neymar. But I, I want to see what Neymar has to say about it. It's Neymar and Mbappe. I can't see anything other than a PSG win. It's going to be procession. What? Whoa. Yeah. How? Yeah. How? How? So how are you seeing this? You're looking in the crystal ball. This is, and... this is, this is a real change in the guard here. And Zinedine Zidane doesn't strike me as someone who can right this ship that's not something about Zinedine Zidane it's, it's something about it's it's very hard for managers to turn about a slide and get their team firing up in circumstances such as this he doesn't strike me as someone to be able to go right we're having a really bad le- league season but we're gonna have a really good cup run I, think I mean this is that, it. I mean whoa, whoa that kind of happened in what would that have been 2015-16 where they sacked Benitez he came in and he helped them win the Champions League. Do you think it's kind of it's totally different this time? I think it's different because it's, this time it's a problem of his own making rather than fixing someone else's problem. It's easier to fix someone else's problem than it is to fix your own problem. Because when you have to fix your own problem, you first have to identify what you did to create the problem. And I don't think Zidane has that within himself right now. It's hmm. a very hard skill to have. You know, if you talk about managers that, that are able to do that, it's, it's what you've got. Alex Ferguson and... <laughs> it's not a long list, is it, man? No, it's 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 very hard to do as a manager to 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 have this ability. You know, if you you know, the I, I brought this up before about how eventually the computer and football manager will figure out the one tactic you do, and then what you're gonna do? You have to find a new one, and I don't think Zidane's gonna be the type of person to do that. And I think, yeah, it you know, it it feels weird to bet against Cristiano Ronaldo. Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, and whatnot. But when you've got PSG's firepower and a very canny man, you know, Unai Emery is as good a manager as anything as Zidane, if not a better manager than Zidane. Yeah. And he doesn't have, and he, you know, this isn't going to be, it's not going to have the bizarre s- scenario behind <laughs> the 6-1. Sorry, Carl. 3-0. It's not going to have the bizarre, he's not going to have the bizarre 15 minutes at the new camp that we saw last season, if only because Neymar now plays for PSG. This is not going to be the interesting, massive Titanic clash you're predicting. I think it's going to be a fairly perfunctory 1-2-0 or win, both at home and away. Uh, Now, Porto-Liverpool, that's a game I'm interested in. Well, you're more interested in Porto-Liverpool than PSG-Real Madrid. No, 
I'm not. I said it's a game I'm interested in, not more interested in. I think there's, I think there is a greater swing in who can win Porto, Liverpool than there is who's going to win out of PSG, Real Madrid. Because I can't see anything other than a PSG victory. Well, and am I, if I'm hearing you correctly, over two legs, Real Madrid won't score. Um, no, that's that's mean. I think Real Madrid will score because they've got Cristiano, but I think it's it's going to be done. Wow. All right, you're going out on a limb here. I don't think anyone thinks it's that. It should be that clear for PSG. Let me see. Was There was a question in here somewhere. All right, here we go. Here we go. FG. Shout out FG. How badly does Double H want Neymar and PSG to go through against Madrid? Also, what would Double H do if Cristiano scores a hat trick in both legs? Jump off a building. Whoa! <laughs> don't joke about man. such things, Pope. Don't, don't put such things out in the world. This is totally off topic, but... My mom told me yesterday that my dad went to church and the 16-year-old kid jumped off a bridge, killed oh, no. himself. Whoa. Yeah, man. Very sad. Very sad. Apparently, like, there was something going on with his relationship and he just couldn't handle it. So he killed himself. I was like, damn, man. What, killed himself at church or near the no, church? No, the church doesn't have a bridge. Oh. The, the, <laughs> he, he jumped off a bridge and... It was just, you know, his parents go to to the church my parents go to. Oh, so. okay. Oh, wow. You know, and I, I was thinking, like, yo, that thing Carl talks about, you know, the men's mental health. Respect for that, man. You got to be able to talk about these things and don't do anything rash. I mean, I guess you won't live to regret it in that sense, but the people you you surround yourself with, your family, your friends, they have to live with that. So, yeah, Carl, respect to you for what for what you're doing, man. I saw the thing that you did with Kev, who's also been on the on the podcast. Like, that's really dope, man. That just it just made me think about like, really, at 16, you're going through these kind of depressive things. Like, I, I can't relate to it, but I know people out there do. And yeah, man, Kev, don't joke about jumping off buildings, man. Mm. Just, yeah, it's just something that that I heard about the other day. Kind of made me think. But yeah, how badly does have hope want Neymar and PSG to go through against Madrid. Do you care? I can't I can't I can't reveal that information publicly. Oh wow. <laughs> so I'll I'll just I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that. This is from WhatsApp Raja. I almost missed this question. Do you think Neymar will stay at PSG if they don't win the Champions League within the next two years? Do you know there's already talk about him going to Real Madrid? I think Neymar's staying at PSG what how old is Neymar again? He's twenty four. How old is Neymar? Neymar is 26 years old. Okay. So what? Uh, he's got he's got three more years before you can he should start getting itchy feet. And what? He's won everything already. So he's won every domestic competition in Spain. Yeah, he's fine. I think it's funny time. that uh, this question assumes that he can leave PSG. You know how much money they paid him, his dad? The Qataris <laughs> gave him hotels. I'm sure they, they've given him other things. You just think they're going to let you go. <laughs> You'll be out in the desert somewhere. Oh, that's that's that then. You're not just gonna leave. That's that. Liverpool Porto is that the one on on Wednesday? The other match. It is indeed. I don't. I don't. I don't have much to say. I don't. I can't really talk about Porto in that way. I know Liverpool look really good at the moment, though. No, 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 no. FC Porto are very good at home. I think if Porto are gonna win, they're gonna have to pretty much be great and have a, a big victory at home. But I don't, I, Liverpool should not really be too over-assumptuous that they can beat Porto. They're the stronger team, but they, they shouldn't be too overconfident because Porto can maybe, you know, get a good result at home and maybe an away goal away from home. So Liverpool have to be very wary. Is over-assumptuous? Is that a word? No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. 
<laughs> I was like, I don't know if I've ever heard that one before. Um, let's let's get this one. Atletico Madrid cut the gap on Barcelona to seven points. What are your thoughts on their chances to win La Liga this season? Zero. They have zero chance. Don't, don't that <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's like zero. Um, what do Man City need to do to maintain this form next year? In Australia, I get the pot on Tuesday. Cheers, lads. So that's from Patrick Maduda. Shout out to Australia. Uh, Aborigines. Save the Aborigines. Save the Aborigines. Yo, have you read about the Tasmanians? I've not. Google Google the the original inhabitants. Not, like, not now, obviously. But read about what... Uh, I don't know if it was the British. I'm assuming it was the British. Read what they did in Tasmania, bro. Like, you know how Aborigines are from Australia. Mm. Like, what, what you would understand to be Aborigines on Tasmania? They got wiped out. Like the last ones died, I think, in like the early 1900s or late 1800s, something like that. Crazy wow. stuff, man. But yeah. It is, man. What do Man City need to do to maintain this form next year? I think they need to learn from Chelsea. They need to learn from Leicester. They need to learn from Chelsea the season before. Even the time that they won the league, they've never retained. You have to spend money. You have to p- apply pressure. Even though these players are really good and Manchester City are winning the league at a canter already. Like we knew they were going to win the league from when? October? September, perhaps, you have to apply pressure. And, and I think, you know, even the, the purchase of Laporte kind of shows that they're willing to do that. They spent $60 million on the defender when they were already winning the league by 15 spend points. Cash. You have to spend the cash. You have to. Yeah, you have to, you, have, you, have to, you have to continually apply Improve. pressure and, and give. I, I know it seems crazy, but you got to apply. Like De Bruyne, you can't just rest on your laurels. You have to apply pressure to people like Aguero. You have to apply pressure to people like company which they're doing kyle walker like you have to and mendy's going to be back so i guess that's a competition for fullback places in a way but you can't just keep the same team because you know chelsea are going to spend united are going to spend liverpool and tottenham are you know progressing i don't know if we should necessarily speak about arsenal given what we said about them earlier but you know you can't just stand there Uh, so you have to spend money that's the that's how they can keep the form going next year you also have to look after pep Pep signs one-year contract extensions and he doesn't believe that you can be a manager for more than three seasons. So, yeah. Cool. Re- relief, relief pressure from him in that way, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Great, fantastic that you're, you're going to go spend more money. Yeah, it's great you're going to get back up in centre midfield. So in case, because, you know, Fernandinho is going to get older, Yael Torre is going to be going and you need a replacement for Gundogan. That's fine. But you need to do something to keep Pep calm. I don't know. Buy him, buy him a really good French nanny for his kids. Whoa! Pay for his Spirit racist. No, it's like a whole a French nanny is a like designated term of child care. What's a French nanny for? What? That's that's the thing we want to know. To look after his children. And <laughs> and. Mind... Chill, chill, we, chill, chill. We know what French nannies wear. We, we hey. know what they wear. No, that's so... what a French maid wears. Get your mind out the gutter. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, hold on, hold on. I uh, had a question. No, I forgot it. Damn. Victor Moses had a shot that went white. Racism. Let's talk racism. Let's talk racism. Do you want to? Because we have situations. Okay. Uh, no, can, now. can I just say very briefly that Kick It Out is a useless um, organization. What, does, what, what do they do? Nothing. Nothing. Out? nothing. <laughs> they, must, they must do something. They do campaigning and they work closely with the FA and they do a lot of work at grassroots level. What, like, what, what, what does that mean? Not basically, they they talk a lot. They make statements whenever racial stuff happens, but they really don't actually make. 
which is the issue that Rio Ferdinand was saying because Rio was speaking to the kick it out um, like presidents and Rio was saying, look, wait, how have you guys not really been able to make any strides? And the guy said, well, there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of this. And it's like, I respect the existence of the campaign and what it's about ideologically, but really those guys for me, they they they, they, they don't do any real stuff, man. They don't do oh. they're just, they're just make statements. Just make oh, statements. did you just steal my Rio Ferdinand anecdote and tell it yourself? Wait, when did he ever? When, when did he say this Rio Ferdinand anecdote? When did he say this? I told it to you guys before. Oh, oh no, no. Look, I I must have maybe because <laughs> you I, just I, I my Rio Ferdinand anecdote. Oh no, no, uh, because uh, I just remember I seeing. Said, the I do it all the time. Life. I steal my friends' anecdotes all the time. It's alright. <laughs> if I did, I'm sorry. Okay, I steal from greatness. So. Aw, thank you. No problemo. Um, you guys I've getting along of, goes against the ethos of this podcast. I had a couple of interviews with Kick It Out. Um, and I, I think a lot of their work that works at the grassroots level because it's very hard to tell people who are on a certain amount of money to care about that if you're not if you don't directly see it. Why do you care, right? But let's talk about the very specific incidents of racism we want to talk about. So Balotelli playing for Nice uh, got yellow carded this week, last week, before complaining to the referee about what he viewed was racist chanting. I haven't looked into the situation too deeply i must say nice confirmed i believe on their twitter account that he was indeed uh the subject of racial abuse so you know i tweeted you know french referees are tripping this season man i think it was dijon but i could be wrong i could be wrong in that let me look it up so we can be accurate is this an are we like reputable like do we have to be accurate with these things yes we do uh nice played yeah dijon and they lost 3-2. Yep. I, you know, I'm curious with Balotelli because I don't know. He's a particular kind. Is he the? He might be the most famous black footballer that's, still, that's currently playing right now. And where? The world. Europe. Balotelli. Who? Who else? I mean, Pogba. Pogba's more famous than Balotelli. Yeah. I'd say that. Huh. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I just think Balotelli's that's, in a weird space. Balotelli's in a weird space because, you know, he is viewed as he spent his entire younger years being told he's not Italian because a black person cannot be Italian. Uh, then he moved to England and he was called an idiot and a numpty when he very clearly wanted some form of arm around the shoulder, father-like figure. Mancini thought he could be that figure and then essentially threw him under a bus. And now he's in France trying to build his career back together. Balotelli has, has had racial charting in Italy. He said racial chanting in England. Uh, and if you're a French football fan and you're a terrible human being, you know this is a particularly effective way to get under his skin. Uh, we've seen Balotelli cry after oh, yeah. being substituted and racial chanting directed at him. So we know this is, this is a way... We know he hears those chants and we know he's not like John Barnes who's going to kick away a banana peel if you throw it at him. We know he's not like Danny Alves who's going to pick up a banana, eat it and throw it away. We know he's... You know, Balotelli is, in the nicest possible way, a sensitive soul. And that makes him a target for terrible people. Mm. And some of these terrible people have looked to take advantage of him by throwing racial slurs at him in, in the hope that it throws him off his game. Nice lost, lost that game and Balotelli got yellow carded because Balotelli's not going to be... Balotelli's not the player who's going to get those racial chants, put it to one side and then go and score the winning goal. He's going to go complain to the referee and go, I don't want to do this no more. Um, which makes me happy and sad. Balotelli is well within his rights to have that reaction to those racial chants. 
but also it creates this weird feedback loop where he's going to get more of those chances because we know because fans because terrible fans know that if they do it he's going to play you know 15 percent below his ceiling which therefore gives their team a better chance of winning the way you protect it is you give better protection to Balotelli. So the referee takes the ball and yells at someone and yells at the fans and say, if you don't stop, you're gonna, we're not going to continue playing this game. But as you just said, the referees in France right now are tripping. So that's that. Literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. One. You know what? You know. Apparently, that that the one the one referee that got caught trip or not got caught, but that tripped the one player. He's he's suspended for a, a certain amount of games, and he'll have enough. He'll have an opportunity because he's retiring at the end of the season. So he'll he has one game left, the last game of the season. I don't know why they don't just suspend him for the last game, but apparently he will make like his last refereeing appearance in. Uh, League on's last match day, but that's neither here nor there. Can someone explain to me the Jay Rodriguez situation? But this is like, like you're black and you stink. That's that's what he apparently he said. That is what Jay Rodriguez said. Like this has been proven. Like is this lip readers? No, no, Do they have he, it on like, audio, he, or is it just an accusation? He's, he's fighting his um, innocence apparently. So, but the thing is that a lot of these cases are yeah, every, innocence will proven guilty. But since they give a lot of times. The, the guys are proven to be guilty. I mean, guys, there was a, a YouTube video of John Terry saying to Anton Ferdinand, yeah, Anton, you fuck black. He said it. I remember watching the video. And that video was then pulled. And he actually had a case. I'm like, hmm, let's still decide. I'm not an expert math reader. And even me saw it. So it's like, and Chelsea defended him, by the way. Your club, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but then but then it also relates to like there's a bunch of these situations, man, with the the whole gate for Mino thing that happened, I think last month or two months ago. I don't know what's going on, man. There's something in the water. Is is, is it more common or is it just we're hearing about it more? Do you know what I mean? Like this is it's always happened, but we're just hearing about it more just because Social media is around, and you know. Oh, no, no, I'm not look, but it, it, it was worse back in the day. It would have been way worse back in the day. But I think just now, because like, okay, wow, you know, people are nobody now. So I think you know that's 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 the thing. But no, it was much worse before. All right, Jamie Whitehead asks, "Why is the second city derby so crap?" Hey, that's kind of well. It's not really a segue, but John Terry plays for Aston Villa. Half of somebody had tweeted with some Chelsea fan. It was like, "We need to get John Terry back because Aston Villa have won like their last seven games or something." Yes, they have. Steve Bruce has got them up to second place in the championship. I mean, Wolverhampton Wanderers are some way away. They're 11 points clear at the top of the championship. But Aston Villa are the best of the rest. So Wolves Wolves are definitely up. But why is it crap? Because the quality of football in Birmingham is always quite poor. Well, there you have it. No one playing at Birmingham wants to play for a Birmingham side unless you're from there. For the most part, you're doing it to get yourself in the shop window to go somewhere else. Chelsea won three zero, so they're back in the top four. Antonio Conte doesn't look too happy. This this question kind of relates. Of all the teams in the bottom ten in the Premier League, who do you think won't go down to the Championship and why? I'll flip that, and we can just let me pause the screen quickly because this is fortuitous. All right, bottom ten of the Premier League: Watford, West Ham, Newcastle, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Swansea City, Huddersfield. Southampton are in the relegation zone. Stoke are in the relegation zone. And West Brom have just been cut five points adrift. It's not looking good. They're seven points behind Huddersfield. How are they going to make that up? 
Not sure. And they just lost their main striker, I guess, because Daniel Sturridge got injured after two minutes. I think Stoke are too good to be relegated. I think Southampton are too good to be relegated. That's what um, they said about Newcastle. Nobody is ever too good to be relegated, man. Yeah, that no is one is too good to be. Yep, that is correct. They're because one point I, from I, safety. I would have never thought Newcastle would ever get relegated. Nobody thought Newcastle, a club that big, would go down, and it happened. So I don't mean historically. I mean the team that they have now. You would think Stoke could be able to catch up two points to Huddersfield. I think West Brom are going to go down. I don't know. Watford seems safe. West Ham are probably safe. Newcastle, I think, are safe. I, I would like to see Crystal Palace stay up just because of how they started. So it's between Brighton and Swansea. What do you guys think? Brighton or Swansea? I think Swansea have the momentum and they're going to stay up. Uh, Brighton, so, for me, I, so I think Brighton, Brighton Huddersfield, and West Ham. No, Brighton, Huddersfield, and West Brom, sorry. Mm. Although I want Huddersfield to stay up. I would as well. I would like Brighton to stay up for cultural reasons. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it's tricky. I mean, it's hard to tell. Like, the, the top 10 or the bottom 10 points are separated by 10 points. So, in three weeks, the whole thing could look you a completely different way. So three wins, you shoot back up. That's hard, the great joy and why I, why I think we should be focusing more on relegation. This is where the real entertainment is to be had this season, at least. From Gowan69, three plausible player swaps each of you would like to see in the Premier League. So, so for instance, the Mkhitaryan for Alexis one worked for everyone. The Zerud Obamayang Bashuai seems to be working for everyone. Um, what's one that would work? Luke Shaw and Danny Rose swap them. Hmm. That might work. Do you think Danny Rose is hard-headed enough to work with Mourinho, if you get what I'm saying? You have to learn. <laughs> oh, oh, of course. Uh, Lascelles and Chris Smolin, swap them. I don't care <laughs> Actually, if you get the bad side of that deal. <laughs> maybe maybe Icardi. Get Chris Smolin out of my club. <laughs> Venga and then Mourinho. Ooh, interesting. Oh, I'll tell you what. Mourinho and Rafa Benitez, swap them. You would, could, could, oh, you want Rafa Benitez at United? I don't, but I think Mourinho secretly would love Newcastle. He's never won a game there. He'd get them relegated. You'd have to learn some. You'd have to learn somehow. <laughs> That'd be interesting if he actually. I mean, would Mourinho actually walk as Newcastle? That's the thing, though. I think Mourinho very much wants to play for, wants to use a football club where the. I Mourinho's problem is. He's best appreciated at a club that doesn't usually win things and he wins one thing and they love him for it. So Inter Milan weren't used to winning things and he won them stuff and they loved him for it. Chelsea, they weren't used to winning things at the time and they loved him for it. The problem with that is he got known as a perennial winner and then went to clubs like Real Madrid and he went to Manchester United and then, which, and then went back to Chelsea. And by that time, Chelsea were expected to win things. So when he started delivering the trophies, they're going, yeah, but you're not playing interesting football anymore and you're causing too many fights. We don't like you anymore. And that's when Mourinho began to fail. Mourinho is best loved when he's delivering trophies to clubs that aren't expecting it too often. And also when those clubs have underachieved for a long time. Yeah, uh, this kind of relates, but not quite, I don't think. Keegan Blaze asks, what makes an elite manager? Is it trophies? Because Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League and cannot get a top job. Is it philosophy? Because Pulis is in the championship, not that he's elite. So what makes an elite manager? I think it's a combination of, yeah, philosophy, but also how you interact with your players. See, philosophy is such a big word to describe tactics or strategy. It's, it's, it's a real flowery term that... 
your idea fine. of football of, of how you want to play i but i think well you, well you know what actually i don't know if that's necessarily true because i think you can be an elite defensive manager or you can be an elite offensive manager or you can be an elite balance manager like like pochettino isn't so offensive but he's not so defensive he has a, a good balance um in the way he plays someone like guardiola he leans more offensive someone like marino he leans more defensive so I, it just depends on your mastery of how you want to play football. And like Carl kind of alluded to in the beginning, your personnel, like how how well you mesh with your team you know, or how well they mesh with you. Yeah, well said. What do you guys think? Throop. Yep, I second that. These are two World Cup-related questions. See, I'm good at this, if I could just read. From Dominic Bennett, do you guys think that the likes of Stones and Sterling will be able to stand on their own two feet and perform without their Man City teammates in Russia? Not, not, not really. To an extent, but not, not to their full potential. No. Do you know how Carl talks about the Arsenal sickness? Does England have a sickness? Oh yeah, obviously, of course. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was a rhetorical question in a way. Like, obviously, they have a sickness. I kind of feel like you could take the best of Tottenham, the best of Arsenal, the best of Man City. Chelsea don't have any English players except for Cahill, and he's not really the best of anything. You could take. <laughs> You can take the best of England, collect them, and then when they put on that shirt, which should be the training kit, by the way, they don't breed confidence, at least in when I see them. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to go out and they're going to get nine points in the group stage or seven points or whatever it might be. Like We talk a lot about how England should be a 4-4-2 team or try to play 4-3-3 or they shouldn't play three at the back or whatever it is. I just don't know what the English philosophy is anymore. Speaking of the word philosophy... I don't know. So how are how would Sterling and Stones fit in England? We don't even know how they're gonna play. Look, it's 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 deep, man. You know, I, I just think that for England, it's it's a mental thing, and until they change the way that they approach the game, they're gonna keep on getting beat by Portugal, Spain, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and so forth. Any team of any real quality that goes up against them, they will lose. So. But that's, I think they, they have the pieces to where they should be able to win those games. Like them, well, maybe not Brazil or one of those teams, but you said Colombia. English should be able to beat Colombia. Should they? Well, they're not. Like they, Colombia has how many good players, really? You have James. I mean, I mean have you seen Colombia play? <laughs> like, I think, like, for me, like, this, this has always been the issue. Like, people said, wait a minute, how come. We can't win with Lampard, Gerard, all these people who play for some of the big clubs. Lampard benefited from Essien, Drogba, McClellan, and so forth. Gerard benefited from Alonso. All these players benefited from the teams they were around and the, and who managed them. But when you now take them out of that zone and you now put them with every other people, it just doesn't work as well as they do for their club sites. So England as a team put together, I don't know how well they function, but when I look at Colombia as a team, they function very well. So it doesn't matter what they do for their clubs. That's a separate thing. Is What do they do when they come together as an English team without the focus? Anyway, Harry Kane is great, but Harry Kane does benefit from what Ericsson brings him. You also have to bear in mind, England, the English players are going to be knackered. There's no winter break. Yep. We're, playing, we're playing high tempo, chaotic football in the Premier League. You're going to be knackered. Well, Harry Kane's going to play... 50 games by the time the season's done, most likely. We've got two domestic competi- two domestic cup competitions, FA Cup replays, no winter break. You're playing two games a week, especially if you're one of the top four teams, top six teams, and we're going to make deep runs into Europe. Deli Alley's going to be knackered. Harry Kane's going to be knackered. Raheem Sterling's going to be knackered. I'd love, I'd love for England to work 
but I'm not holding my breath. Okay, last question related to the World Cup as well. Mohamed, you're an Arsenal fan. Why are you so concerned with Mbappe? Like, stop trying to be a PSG fan. You're not. But Mohamed asks, Mbappe winning the World Cup at the age of 19, potentially. Thoughts on that? As well as being one step closer to potentially surpassing a certain number 10 if he wins it, <coughs> Pele. Does Mbappe surpass Pele if he wins the World No! No, What's no. up with this surpassed yeah. culture? Like 17, 17. Pele was 17 when he scored two goals in a World Cup final. I, I think, crucially, he used the word potentially twice in the sentence. So things aren't going to happen. So there's no point questioning even more. Is that that? Is that that? We have to do a Black Panther review because I have a lot of stuff to say That's about. what I wanted to talk about. I knew it would come back in the episode. I'm de- we're definitely going to do a, uh, a Talking Tactics Extra sometime after we've all seen Black okay. Panther, that's that was the thing I wanted. To, I was like, at the beginning, I'm missing something. I was like, yeah, we're gonna do an extra yeah, about Black, Black Panther. Panther, but we got a couple segments left. Recommended reads, Carl. What you got? We have uh, Rory Smith from the New York Times. He's talking about um, so Olympiacos has won every single league title in Greece since 2010, <laughs> due to the amount of money they're getting from their Champions League runs. Uh, Basel, FC Basel has won something like seven in a row. Um, Croatia's having a similar problem with Dynamo Zagreb. Uh, there is a creeping building of dynasties in France, in PSG, and in Italy with Juventus, unless you, Napoli does something spectacular. Um, I'm not going to happen. And in Germany, of course, <laughs> with Bayern Munich. Uh, so how not only is Champions League money and the race for top four having effects in the top five leagues but how it's having potentially more damaging effects in in smaller leagues around europe because as the piece argues if you're a young greek football fan why would you watch greek football when you know olympianikos is going to win the league every single year surely you're just going to watch Serie A instead Serie A, la liga instead um which therefore which you know even that lowers the quality of your product even more which is worrying so how does uefa work to balance out that effect so that's one recommended read. Another one is Barney Rone talking about just the, the sublime manage, majesty that is Musa Dembele. I think that might be it. Have Hope Brick Academy update. In the group chat, I've requested that one player be put on the review for Brick Academy. Let's let us see who's made it. So currently on the review, currently on the review, Xhaka. Oh, wow. Mourinho is still on the review. Ooh. Um, Casemiro. Morata. Those the guys wow. review suspensions. Those who have been suspended from the Brick Academy, but remember, these guys can always go back in. Cristiano, unfortunately, Danny Lowe, Venga. Those the guys have been suspended. Class C. We're now going into the Brick Academy. Class C. Andre Gomez of Barcelona, Bakayoko, Antonio Conte, Ooh. Chris Smalling, and what? Zidane, what? And Sissoko and Torres. So yeah, those are Class C. Yeah, Class C. This can, is only class C. These can always change. They can always change. Um, class B. You're, you're, you're going to love this, Carl. Class B, we've got Lukaku, Koscielny, De Lufeu, Kevin Gamero, and Danny Welbeck. <laughs> class A, Class A. Lovren, Oscar, Janssen, Rafinha of Bayern Munich. And because he has ends something that we've never seen, there's now a scholarship level. Karim Benzema is the first member of the Brick Academy to end a scholarship. There we go. 
<laughs> All tuition pays. <laughs> so, so like, like I, I, I don't know how the hell is gonna get out of the break. He basically needs to pretty much win like a world, a world cup, and a Champions League to get out of the break academy now. So, well, he can't win a world cup, can he? So he's he's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he's stuck. He, he's, he's stuck there for life, pretty much. So, all right, that's the break academy update. I haven't really thought too tough about heroes and villains. Um, I would just my hero is going to be Matt Ritchie going to go uh, for Newcastle against Manchester United. And uh, my villain is going to be French referees. I don't understand what's going on with you guys. Like, chill out. Uh, this was the Talking Tactics Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Um, remember to follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter at Talking Tactics, or on SoundCloud at Talking Tactics. Remember to leave us a Apple Podcast review. Those are much appreciated. Five stars only, though. Come on. You can follow me at Dandy's Look. Carl, where can the people find you? Anchorman616. Have Hope, where can the people find you? At Half Hope Hot or in a bat cave. Yeah, talking tactics podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Stay black, stay black, stay black. Podcast Network.